0: Imagine, if you can, being transported back to Bethlehem, back 2,000 years ago, and there you are standing around the manger, and as you stand around the manger, you're suddenly joined by a group of shepherds. They arrive on the scene, and they stand around this this manger, this, this cow trough. Essentially is what it is. And you're looking down upon the baby laying there in this cow trough. And they ask you, do you know who this is? Well, actually, yes, I do know who he is. His his name is Jesus. And they reply, well, yeah, the angels told us to come and find him here. The whole night for us has been amazing. Would love to tell you about it. The angels appearing in the sky and what they shared with us and and, and the glorious refrain that they brought from one to another. It's been a night where we've just been praising God for leading us to this, this special child. This one here, but they continue still. We aren't entirely sure what's so special about it. We we know that he must be sent from God, but do you know why he was sent? What what is it that this baby has come to do? And if you were asked that question by the shepherds, what would be your response to them? How would you answer their question, what has this baby came to do? What, What is this all about? Would you say maybe something along the lines of, well, he's come to show God's love to the world? Or maybe it would be he's come to to heal people, or maybe it would be he's come to meet people's spiritual needs, or maybe even it would be he's come to meet uh, people's uh, physical needs as well. Well, all of those answers have truth in them. All of those answers convey something that is absolutely true. It is true that Jesus came to show God's love to the world. It is true that Jesus came to meet uh, people's uh, spiritual needs, that He came to meet their physical needs. It's true that Jesus came to heal people. But I think there's a better answer. In fact, I'm quite certain of it. It's more to the point more to the heart of why it is that Jesus came. And we find it for for us in the Gospel of Mark. In Mark chapter 10 especially, we see Jesus addressing this very question as though the shepherds were standing around saying, why is it that this Jesus came into the world? And he gives us the answer. Let's look together at Mark chapter 10, verse 35. And we're going we're to read down to verse 45, and then we're going to go back and just walk through these verses together to get an understanding of what it is that Jesus is saying. Mark chapter 10, verse 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they were some of the earliest followers of Jesus, apostles of Jesus, a, a part of the twelve, James and John. They came up to Him and said to Him, to Jesus... Teacher, we want, us, want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left hand in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink, and with the baptism with which I am baptized you will be baptized, but to sit in my right hand or in my left is not mine to grant, but is for those for whom it has been prepared. For even the Son of Man came, not to be served, but to serve, and to give His life as a ransom for many. Let's take these words this morning. Let's take this passage this morning and just one, one word at a time, one step at a time, let's unpack what it is that Jesus is saying to us this morning. As we begin this Christmas season and as we begin it with a focus on ministry and service, what does that look like and what does it involve? First of all, look at what James and John requested of Jesus. Their request is amazing. In verse 35, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him and said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Is that not amazing that they would do that? I mean, have you ever had someone come to you and say, Hey, can you do me a favor? You know how to answer that question, right? Never say yes, because you have no idea what they're about to ask. Hey, can you do a favor for me? Well, it really depends on what the favor is. You tell me the favor first, and then I'll let you know if I can do that. Or will you make me a promise? Well, what is the promise? Because I don't want to promise something and and be obligated to something that I can't perform or something of that nature. Do you promise not to tell anyone what I'm going to tell you? No, I, I can't make that promise to you. I'm sorry. And here they come to Jesus. Jesus We want you to do for us whatever it is that we ask of you. What a request. That they make. And then they continue with the request. Jesus asked them, okay, what do you want me to do? And they said to him, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left. That was the request. Jesus answered it correctly. I'm not going to make you a promise. I'm not going to do whatever you ask. What is it that you're wanting? And they said, we want positions of authority. We want positions of prominence and preeminence when, when the time comes for your kingdom to be established. Now there's something within this, you discover what James and John got right within all of this. What they got right was in verse 37, grant us to sit one at your right hand, one at your left, that's not the right part, but the right part is when they come along and they say, in your glory. That's what they got right. They got right the fact that Jesus was glorious that His kingdom was glorious and that one day they would be ushered into His kingdom even though they may not have fully understood what it was at this point. They knew that one day Jesus would be in His glory fully manifested as King of all. Now that's a good thing to be right about. They were right about the fact that Jesus is glorious, that His kingdom is glorious, and that He is moving towards the fulfillment and the culmination of that kingdom in glory. They got that right, and that's a great thing to be right about. In fact, I I would, I would dare to say this morning that some of you are not yet right about that. And here's how you can tell. Let me, let me just give you some, some examples. For instance, if you know that a company's stock is about to take off and go through the roof, and you know this legally, there's, there's no uh, lawsuit coming against you by the Security Exchange Commission or anything of that nature, but you know that a company's stock is about to take off and not the competitors, what are you going to do? You're going to buy their stock and not their competitors, Right? you are we're not dummies here are we no that's what we're gonna do if you know that a storm is coming and this building is going to be standing after the storm and none of the other buildings are where are you going to go in this building right thank you i know you're out there i hear you breathing i know i know you are or was it snoring was anyway okay If you know that a storm is coming and this building is going to be standing and none of the others are, you're going to get in this building. That's what we do. And if you know that Jesus is going to reign in glory in the end over every one of His rivals, then you follow Jesus and not His rival. See, some of you are not following Jesus. You don't have it right yet about His glory. Some of you aren't even as far along as James and John were. Because you're still following after the rivals of Jesus. The other things that compete for your allegiance, that compete for your devotion. These things that we make idols of in our life. At least James and John got that right. And you see, if you know... If you know that Jesus is going to reign in glory in the end over every single one of His rivals, then you would follow Jesus and not His rival. But that's not what's happening. See, they they had it right. They had it right in an understanding that one day Jesus would take His throne in glory and someday rule the world. And listen, nobody really believes this who isn't following Jesus. If you really believe that, you're going to follow Jesus. If you really believe that one day everything else is going to go away and the only thing that's going to remain is Jesus and His rule and His reign, then you're going to follow Jesus because you realize none of this other stuff matters. It's all gone. In a blink, in a moment, in an instant, it's gone. And the only thing that will remain is the rule and reign of Jesus in everything. They at least got that right but everything else they got wrong. Look at what James and John got wrong. Look again at verse 38. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We're able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink, and with the baptism with which I am baptized you will be baptized. What in the world is Jesus talking about here? What is this cup? that Jesus references here. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? What is He talking about here? Well, you will remember, if you'll you'll go to the end of the story here in Mark's, Mark's Gospel and the other Gospels, you will remember that on the night Jesus was arrested, before He was crucified, before Jesus was brought through this mockery of a trial and condemned to death and put upon the cross, He is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane just across the way from the temple area, down across the Kidron Valley, down there in this beautiful garden setting, all of Trees all around the place. And Jesus is there praying. And do you remember the focus of His prayers? Jesus is here in this garden pleading with His Father. He knows what's coming. He knows the horror of crucifixion. He knows the abandonment that He will face from the Father. And He's pleading before God. In Mark chapter 14, we read about this. And He said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for You. Remove this cup from Me. Yet not what I will, but what You will. There's the cup. Remove this cup from Me. The cup was the death that he was about to endure. Understand what Jesus is saying here to James and John. He is essentially saying, if you want to rule with me in my glory the way you are asking, then you must die with me. You must drink the same cup that I drink. He also talks about baptism. He says, are you able to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? Again, a reference to His death. Jesus saw His death not only as a bitter cup to drink, but He saw His death as an immersion, a total immersion, a baptism into suffering and into sorrow. And Jesus is here saying to James and John, My pathway to glory and to kingship is through suffering and death. If you want the kind of honor you're asking for, then you must follow in my suffering and in my death. And it's amazing to me in verse 39 that James and John agree to this. Yeah, yeah, we're we're able. I would imagine Jesus probably wanted to say to them again what He had said in verse 38. You do not know what you're asking. They say, yeah, we're able to do that. We we, we can die. We can drink this cup. We, We can be baptized like this into sorrow and into suffering. Of course, we can do that. But you know there are going to be others who will follow Jesus like this as well. In fact, if you read the history of Christianity, you will find that the pages of our history as Christians is absolutely overflowing with the blood of people who have given their lives for following Christ. You can go from century to century and read the stories of martyrs who have laid down their lives in obedience to Christ, unwilling to forsake Him, unwilling to abandon Him, even to the point of death. There'll be others. I only have one right hand and one left hand. And so Jesus says, but to sit at my right hand or at my left hand is not mine to grant. It is for those for whom it has been prepared. In other words, the Father has decided this, and it's not mine to change that. What Jesus has done here is He has taken their desire for glory and has shown them that the path to glory is a pathway through suffering and death. That's what Christmas means. I think, wait a minute, I thought Christmas was about this baby born in a manger and, and all of this peace on earth, the goodwill to him. I thought that Christmas was about that. Yes, but Christmas is the story of Jesus' pathway from glory and a return to glory that takes him by way of this earth to pass through suffering and death. And now he says, do you want to be great in glory with me? If you do, it comes through the pathway of suffering. Look at the response of the other disciples to this. This it, just, it really almost kind of cracks me up when we read this. The response of the other disciples, verse 41, and when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. They're bent out of shape at what James and John were saying. Why were they so upset? Was it because they could not believe the audacity of James and John? Was it because they couldn't believe how arrogant that these two brothers could be? Was it because they thought to themselves, I have never seen such a brazen act in all of my life? I don't think they were indignant at that point for anything other than the fact that they wanted the same position. In fact, we read this, when Jesus is moving into Jerusalem right before His crucifixion, they're going to celebrate the Passover meal together. And you know what these disciples are doing as they walk with Jesus to observe the Passover meal? The Bible tells us that as they are on their way to observe the Passover meal, they have this great discussion about who is the greatest among them. Can you imagine that? I mean, if nothing else, we would at least Attempt to feign humility, I believe, if we're gathered together in a group. Maybe, maybe not in some things. Maybe, maybe in educational pursuits or maybe in athletic ability. It might be one of those, well, I'm better than you are or anything you can do, I can do better, anything like that. But when it comes to being a follower of Christ, would we dare get into an argument over which of us is better than the other? No, but somewhere within our minds, we might think it to be the case. Well, I do this, and so I'm really more spiritual than they are. We may not voice it, we may not say it, but in our hearts and our minds, we think it. And so we read verse 42, And Jesus called them to him and said to them, See, here is why I believe that these other ten were not interested in just being angry at James and John because of their audacity. No, I, I think that they wanted the same things that James and John wanted. And so here Jesus is going to correct them all. Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentile lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. What does it mean to be a slave of all? Well, Jesus illustrates that for us. He really answers the question in verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is essentially the exact same thing that he said to James and John earlier. You want glory? Then you're going to drink the cup that I drink. You're going to be baptized with the baptism with which I'm baptized, namely death. Death. Verse 45 is the same thing here. What is the way to greatness? It's death. And Jesus gives his own death here as an example of the kind of suffering and service that the disciples are called to. It's a very radical call to discipleship. But I want you to understand exactly what this radical call entails because I think it's different than what most of us think about when we think of this radical call of discipleship. In other words, Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me and seek the glory of my kingdom, be prepared to suffer. That's the way I go. Those that follow me are going to go the same way. It's almost as though Jesus is saying, listen, I don't take the hard road while you take the easy road. In fact, in Mark chapter 8, just a couple of chapters before this, in verse 34 we read, And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Cross, instrument of death. Jesus is saying, if you will follow me, there is a death that is involved within that. And it's not just the death of Jesus, it's our death as well. But what is this radical call? Look at verse 45, and, and let's discover this again. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Here's the nature of the radical call of discipleship through Jesus Christ. (laughs) The radical call is is essentially a call to be served by Jesus. Not to serve Him, but to be served by Him. Let me explain what we mean. In the context in which Jesus gives this, he gives a powerful Christmas promise of future grace. In fact, no other religious leader in the world that I'm aware of has done what Jesus promised here. Not one. This, this radical call of discipleship. Come and drink the cup of suffering. Be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized. The baptism of death. It's not a call to serve Jesus. It's a call to be served by Jesus as we serve others and as we are ransomed by Him. I want to say this again. I want you to get this because when you look at verse 45, so oftentimes we have built our Christian existence on you got to serve Jesus by doing this and this and this. And what Jesus says here is, I will not be served. I will serve. The good news is that the radical call to Christian discipleship is not a call to serve Jesus, but to be served by Jesus as we serve others. To be ransomed by Him from death. Look at it again. Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. If you couple that with verse 44, understand this. Whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. What is the all there? It's us. You want to be great? Serve one another. But don't think within that that you're serving Jesus. Instead, within that you are called to be served by Jesus. See? See? Verse 45 sounds really like an example that we need to follow, doesn't it? Well, just just serve. You just got to serve. It's that, but it's so much more than that. Jesus is not saying serve the way I serve. This is the Son of Man serving us, being a ransom from my sin and death, refusing to be served by me, insisting on being the servant to me and to you in his death. You see, what we need in Christianity is not just a teacher with some rules about how to live. You understand that? We don't need a teacher who just says, you got to live this way and this way and this way, do this, do this, do this, do not do this, do not do this, do not do this. We don't need that. We know that. This is Jesus telling His disciples that He has come into this world to serve them. He's not asking them to serve Him. He will lay down His life so that their lives can be ransomed from sin and death. It's unheard of. Feel the, the, the weight of this. Feel how wild this is. Jesus? Serving me? Yes. And if Jesus doesn't serve you, you have no participation with Him in His kingdom because you're still relying upon yourself to get into heaven. The only way you will be right with God is through being served by Jesus Christ in His death on your behalf. Yeah, obviously, this is a call to act the way that Jesus acted, but it's so much more than that. Jesus, he he comes along and he says, even the Son of Man came not to be served. Be served by whom? Who's he talking about here? Well, he's talking about the very disciples that he's calling to drink the cup he's going to drink from, to endure the baptism, to be the slave of all. That's who he's talking about. Here's what it means. Do you think that you can drink the cup of suffering without His help and service? Do you think that you can endure the immersion into sorrow without His serving and helping you? Do you think that you can become the kind of person that renounces fame and human status to serve all other people without Jesus serving you? Day and night, all the days of your life, you can't. It's why we read in John chapter 15, verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. You see, being served by Jesus and abiding in Jesus are really the same thing. Apart from me you can do nothing. You can't serve each other. We can't serve one another apart from Jesus. We don't have the strength or the energy to do it. We'll quit. We'll stop. You can't become a slave of all without being served by Jesus. Here's the Christmas demand. Here's the Christmas promise. Christmas means that the Son of Man comes and when He comes, He demands something and He promises something. What he demands is your life, all of it. Look at Luke chapter 14, verse 33. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. These demands that Jesus placed, it causes the disciples at one point just to step back and say, whoa, who can do this? This is impossible. Yeah, it is impossible. It's impossible to live the Christian life. It's impossible to live the Christian life with us. But as Jesus has reminded us, but with God all things are possible. That's the only way we can live the Christian life is as Jesus serves us. It's impossible for us to become everyone's servant unless unless the Son of Man is serving you day and day. By night. And Mark chapter 10, verse 45, this this is what turns religion into the gospel. This is the good news that's here. If, 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 If what we call Christianity was just a great radical teacher calling for the sacrificial obedience of radical disciples, it wouldn't be good news. It'd just be another ideology, another philosophy, it would just be another self help program. If being a Christian was just a man appearing on the scene of history to call others to be servants, that wouldn't be good news. But it is good news. We know this intuitively. We know deep down that we we should love one another, we should serve one another, we should sacrifice for others instead of uh, building ourselves up, instead of boasting about who we are, instead of seeking our own interest, instead of being the greatest. We don't need a Messiah to tell us that. What we need is salvation from guilt and death and hell. We need the power to drink the cup of suffering in the path of service. And that's what Christmas is all about. Jesus is not just another teacher or philosopher or politician or a mystic. No. He comes to do two things. He comes to give His life and He comes to serve His disciples. To serve all of those who will stop Trying to earn his approval by serving him. Some of you are trapped in that cycle. You're trying to earn the approval of Jesus by serving him. And yet, what he says is, Humble yourself like children and let me serve you. This is the help we need, this is the power that we need. When our children were born, we brought them home from the hospital and, of course, they did all the things that babies do. They smiled and they cooed and they ate and they slept in their crib and all that wonderful stuff. They didn't serve us at all, not in the least. found that early on. They didn't even offer to serve us. What can I do for you today, Daddy? (laughs) Yeah, right. They were totally dependent on being served by us. In fact, if it had been the other way around, and we expected them to serve us, they would have died. It's the way it is in Christianity. If your focus is on serving Jesus rather than being served by Jesus, you will die. Because you can't do it. You serve others. You're a servant, a slave of all, verse 44. You serve others. And in the serving of others, you are served by Jesus with the strength to do it. That's what it's about. You see, I I, I really want to stress this, number one, because it's Christmas and we need to know why it is that Jesus came. Jesus came not to be served, he came to serve, to give his life as a ransom. But I share this with you as well because in a few moments, we're going to step out of here and we're going to make our way down to our ministry there. We've got church ministries, we've We've got, got community ministries that have come that would love for you to serve with them. But understand this, if you jump in just to serve without being served by Jesus, you're going to crash and burn. Because apart from me, Jesus said, you can do nothing. Learn this, Jesus came to serve you as you serve others. That's why this silly little crazy notion that people have within church, well, my needs just weren't getting met. Oh, that's so absurd. Your needs are met by Jesus as you serve others. Understand that. Grasp hold of that. Jesus serves us as we serve others. So I close with just two questions this morning. Number one. Have you answered His radical call upon your life? To be served by Him in salvation. He came for that purpose. To give His life as a ransom. Today is salvation yours through Jesus. Second question, is Jesus serving you as you serve others? Or are you insistent on doing it all yourself? Still in control. My service, my terms, my way, my time. (laughs) You're not being served by Jesus when you do that. In fact, you're very similar to James and John within that. I want the glory. I want the honor. It's not what a servant does. Serve others as Jesus serves you. Father, this morning we thank you. We thank you for the great reminder again of why Jesus came. Father, I pray today for all of us that we would recognize our need to be served by Jesus. There are some here, I'm sure, who have never trusted Him for salvation, and they stand in need of His service in His death on their behalf. And I pray that you would open their eyes to see the beauty of Christ and that they would acknowledge Him as Lord today. Father, I pray for all of us that our desire would be to abide in Christ, to be served by Him as we seek to serve others. Father, show us what it looks like to be a slave of all You've reminded us that that ultimately comes in death. It may be that for some of us, you ask physical death of us in our service to others. Strengthen us in that. It may be, Father, that we just need to die to our selfish desires and ambitions and allow Christ to serve us as we serve others. We ask your guidance and direction, Father, for we cannot do this on our own. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to stand this morning. We'll sing together, and if there's a response you need to make, maybe, maybe you want to know more about what it means to be a Christian. Maybe you want to know more about what it means to be a member of Boontrail Baptist Church. Maybe you want to know more about your own service and involvement of others. We'd love to begin that conversation. I'll be standing here. If you need to come, you come. We'll start that conversation this morning.